is Gwen Stacy. I went to a science demonstration, got bitten by a radioactive spider, and now have these amazing powers. To the residents of New York, I'm the dangerous vigilante called Spider Woman. But you know me. You know us as Gwenum. Let's find out what we've been up to. It's time for the ultimate spin. Hello, hello. This is Ultimate Spin. Welcome to the Spider-Man fan podcast that follows the ongoing adventures of Miles Morales and Spider-Gwen. My name is Brian, and we've got a lot coming up for you in this episode. First, we get into all kinds of truth as we discover the origin of our favorite villain, Matt Murdock, in Spider-Gwen number 28. Then it's a family affair as things get complicated for Miles in Spider-Man number 237. We'll also share some of your listener feedback and check in with the news about what's next for Miles' other series, The Champions. My name is Jack, and as always, you've got a standing invitation to visit us at ultimatespinpodcast.com. On that site, you can learn more about us, you can find all of our show notes, and follow along with everything we'll be discussing in this episode. You can also download and stream pretty much every episode, the links with every issue of Miles and Gwen to date. And if you're interested in going behind the scenes, we've also got exclusive interviews with pretty much all the creators who bring these characters to life. And clearly, you love these books as much as we do. Otherwise, why on earth are you listening to this? Don't be shy. We'd love to hear from you. Drop us a line at feedback at ultimatespinpodcast.com. Tell us what you think of the stories, the art, the characters, whatever's on your mind. We do the show to connect with our fellow fans and would much rather talk with you than at you. Sometimes we do talk at you as well. Yeah, we're going to do some of that right now. We are. We are. And we're back after a long hiatus. Yes. That's how scheduling works out with comics sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> and a little bit of real life as well, but we are we are back. And uh, yeah, we've got, a, we've got a lot to get into. We've got a bumper episode, two issues to talk about. Some good, some bad. I'm sure you can guess which one is which. Um, oh, nice. <laughs> shall we start off with some positives? All right, let's kick it off with Spider-Gwen number 28. This is a story about two sides of the same coin. It's also a story about being punched in the face by the truth. The Mary Janes and the Parkers are shocked when Gwen reveals the reasons for her secret identity and her anger over losing herself to it. Meanwhile, Matt Murdock has kept poor Richie Rogers alive to talk about his own losses, his parents, his vision, his mentor, and a sense of purpose. The sight of Spider-Woman had stopped him from taking his own life, becoming an obsession for him to corrupt so that he wouldn't feel alone. Ben shocks everyone by encouraging Gwen to go after Murdock. Gwen gets a call from an unlikely ally, and the war begins as Frank Castle arrives at Murdock's door. I'm ready for Frank Castle to get stuck in. Right? I know I'm starting from the end, and I always do that, and I'm terrible for that, but... Oh, yes, I'm ready. It's just like this boiling kettle, and it just kind of this. It's spilling over at the with the end there. But this, right from the beginning, this this hit home. I love that whole Gwen confessional scene. I mean, I didn't expect to see it, but the way it was handled, it was so great. It was a it was a really wonderful take on the whole issue or the whole central like problem that Spider Man has, right? Because you you have these two identities, and you get to be a completely different person, but at the same time, you're split into two and you don't really get to fully enjoy being either one. One is constantly compromised by the other and you want to do both and you can't. If I can make it personal for a moment, like I, I 
could relate to that in a way because my parents emigrated to the States from another country. And growing up, I was kind of torn between two cultures. I didn't really fit into either one. And I wanted to do both. And neither really was satisfying. And I couldn't make either work. And the way Latour scripted this scene, it was just, I found it really moving. I find that really interesting. You're relating to Gwen in that way from like that kind of analogy of two different cultures and, and your heritage to do with her superhero because usually Miles Morales is the the superhero that brings that out in people because you know he's a mixed race superhero and that's still quite a rare thing in comics today and I think that's a testament to Jason's writing and how well Jason, Robbie and Rico and the guys have crafted Gwen as a character and their twist on the, the superhero origin and the superhero side of things is that you're not, a, you know, a 19-year-old girl, but you can relate to this, Brian. <laughs> that speaks <laughs> right. to how good Spider-Gwen is written. I can relate to this in ways, you can relate to this in ways, you know, teenage girls of any different race or creed or whatever. It's that 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 speaks volumes about how good this team is and how brilliantly crafted these characters are. I wonder if too many people can relate to Matt Murdock as well, and that's maybe not a positive thing. <laughs> I know where Jason was going with it with the end of that scene where she says, we're too angry to be scared, we have to be whole. I, I know what that was about in terms of owning the Gwenham identity. But at the same time, like I, I appreciated it for myself. Like you, At some point, you just got to own it and own your decision, and this is who I'm going to be, and be that person. And again, I know that's not quite the parallel that he might have intended, but that's I just that was my honest reaction to this scene. But yes, you mentioned Matt Murdock and good gravy. Matt Murdock is the best. He is just a fascinating character. And this is a brilliant twist on his origin story as well. I really liked seemingly how close they kept it to the original with a few little tweaks here and there that just send him down that dark path. This character is so deep and so believable and so complex and just so cold and terrifying at the same time. But he's it's secretly kind of similar to the Daredevil we know and love. He's not that different. And I find that fascinating. I love the parallel that is finally made clear between Matt and Gwen. And they both get dealt a strange hand and they try to make the most of it. And then they're put in this position where they can't have what they want, this power. He can't be with the hand, right? He's kind of set aside because he's too powerful for them. And now he's put Gwen in this position where she can't be Spider-Woman. I loved how that was drawn. And just to take a step back on how and comment on how awesome Matt Murdock is, we don't talk about the covers as much as we should, but the cover for this issue with him just dominating the the page and Gwenham is just kind of in the corner, like perched, ready to pounce. But this is his issue and Wolverine, Captain America, even the title character herself, they all got these great two-page splash origin pages. Matt Murdock is so larger than life that he just blows out of that framework and gets several pages to go through his origin. I mean, that's how incredible he is. He gets like nearly half an issue. He has earned it. He he is very much the star of this story and this issue. And it put him in a great new light. I, I had even more of an appreciation for him to give him some tragedy. I mean, we, we could always assume it was there. But as you said, Jason took it down some different turns that, that made it very interesting. And how him relating to Spider-Gwen is what drew him to her as well. That's a, such an interesting twist. And we talk a lot about how a lot of the villains in these series and, and comics in general are the Black Mirror to the hero. You get them 
it's Iron Man and the guy, if Iron Man went bad, it's Obadiah Stane from Iron Man 1, like in the movie. Or you get, as we'll be talking about later on, Spider-Man Miles Morales and Iron Spider Aaron Davis. And you get literal kind of spider parallels and you've got the bombshell parallels as well in, in Miles. But this is something different. He relates to her because he just knew he was no longer alone. He felt so powerful, yet so alone, and then finally saw someone else on his level, almost. Like, he's so simultaneously powerful and arrogant, but just couldn't relate to anybody. And finally, somebody steps out of the shadows with a superhero suit on, and he's like, well, that's interesting. He is not the character I would expect to see to be so desperate to consider taking his own life. I mean, he had the sword drawn and ready to go. I mean, that's just tragic, like, to feel that empty and, like, that. there's nowhere, as he says, like, where else can I go? Yeah, it's a really powerful moment. And the, I love, love, love the way Robin and Rico render that, where he just drops to a silhouette with yes. a single color background, that pink, and it's just black and white, and it's this harrowing moment. And that blade is what, an inch or two, maybe less from from his chest. And it is just perfectly, perfectly rendered. And I really love also on that same page, the panel at the top there with him peeking out into the sky, the, the, the skyline, like the city skyline, and it's bright colors and craziness. And he's almost like this spectral figure reflected in the glass, feeling so distant from everyone else and just even the hand feared me they sent me away nobody wants to deal with me anymore he just feels like this this specter this ominous presence but he doesn't feel human and i find that so fascinating in this character and that explains a lot of why he is so cold that that's the the term you and i and our, our guest hosts have been using for so long now he's so calculating he's so cold he's two three five steps ahead of everyone else at any given time and that is the kind of thing that that totally makes sense. This this origin story makes total sense for this character and explains how a man like Matt Murdock would instead go from being one of the great Marvel sort of street-level superheroes in Daredevil to being the kingpin of Earth-65 that we know. For everyone listening, if, if you can, take a look at this page just to appreciate the, the, the one we are talking about where Matt's looking out the window and the bottom, that moment where he's about to kill himself and sees Gwen. This is the perfect example of a team, creative team, firing on all cylinders. So you, Jason's script, Clayton's letters, Robbie's art, and Rico's colors. Those three panels at the bottom where Matt is at his lowest point and Rico has it very dark outside. And then as you pointed out, Jack, the silhouette, uh, where he's about to take his own life, and then he sees her, and Spider-Woman as this inspiring character, this beacon of hope, and the colors get warmer. It gives Matt hope. I mean, that's just so perfectly executed. It's It just blew me away. It's these little moments that you, when you read it through the first time, they blow past you, but going back to look at it closer and getting ready for this conversation, that stood out to me. Like, that was a triumph i thought in storytelling I, I loved it in just three panels it was really powerful i completely agree and this is going to be a weird analogy that might upset some of the listeners here but the connection that he instantly feels between him and matt and gwen reminds me a lot of kylo ren and ray from the last jedi without spoilers oh boy spoiler i know it hasn't been out that long but the fact that there is that inherent connection and they feel like they are 
you know, two sides of the same coin or maybe potential allies, potential whatever. That brilliant moment where he, but before I, like, no one can stop me, but before I could stop myself, I saw her. And there are moments in the Star Wars, the the, the new Star Wars films, the seven and eight, that those two characters really connect in a similar kind of way. They're on two sides of good and evil, quote unquote, but they have this moment where they connect and realize like, oh, I'm not the only one. I'm not alone after all. A lot of the times I find the, uh, this is going to be real kind of niche lettering uh, thing discussion going on now. The boldness of some of the characters and some of the words in comic book lettering to be really odd choices. Like, a lot of the times in superhero comics, it feels like it's just thrown in there for no reason. But this page in particular that we're talking about has the highlights, the word blood twice, because Matt says it following like in the same sentence. And then, because I knew that not only would I do it all again, and he emphasizes that, but no one else is bold. It's blood, blood, would do it all again, and no one else. I'm like, that summarizes the whole thing. That is... His entire kind of monologue summed up just perfectly in just those choices. Whether whether that's a choice from Jason or Clayton, it was a perfect little moment for me. And I very rarely notice those kind of little things. But this book is so well crafted that it beckons me to go and check those things out. Do you know what I mean? Yes. I, I analyze this book even more. I know I'm podcasting about it and that kind of <laughs> that kind of forces you to look at it in a different way. But I find myself having to read these two or three times and I know we've talked about that on the show before as well, because there's so much stuff going on and there's so many little moments and little touches that just make this book so, so good. We're talking about this issue being full of surprises, right? We've got Gwen's confession and seeing the Kingpin's origin. Can we talk about Uncle Ben's response? as Gwen is sort of oh, having man. her moment of crisis. Isn't Ben just the best? Ben is the best. I, I have to give it to Jason. I mean, like, how elegant was that to finally bring it back to great power and great responsibility, and this is your purpose? That couldn't have been tied up with a neater boat. That was so smooth. It was just like... So perfect. <laughs> no. This is what you do. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. Like you said, we've kind of danced around that, and, and it's been a topic in a previous arc quite a lot in the but the weight of responsibility on Gwen has been huge but it's weird how he uncle Ben almost has the flip of the coin from from Matt's monologue going on about how his his power and his I don't know his corruption has grown from his power and then Ben comes back with the other side of that of don't let this corrupt you but this is your responsibility you have the power to change things. You have the power to stop things. Yeah, and, and getting back to this, this, these ideas of identity and purpose, I'm like, this is why you do what you do. It was unbelievably cool. I, I just, this was a solid issue. I mean, in, in so many levels. And Robbie's back. I mean, the fill-in art that we had for the last issues were outstanding, as we talked about, but it was great to have him back for this and see them just clicking together so well. Did you have any standout panels? I mean, we talked about uh, Matt's sequence, but uh, any others that jumped out at you? All the silhouetted panels, pretty much, because we then follow up Ben's moment with oh, poor old Officer Rogers. Richie Rogers oh. <laughs> <laughs> is done once again. And you get these just quiet moments of him just kind of gurgling and trying to say something to Matt Murdock. 
and Matt is just in his own world, just talking about morality and Gwen and my real power and all this kind of thing. And he's just barely registering that Richie Rogers exists. But those panels are just perfect where you get silhouetted Richie stabbed through the chest, pinned to the chair and Murdoch just standing there. And once again, that amazing cityscape, the pinks and the yellow, almost like, like a blocks of Tetris or something, this amazing kind of neon thing happening. You've got the darkness of what's going on here with Matt and then the shining bright city lights behind them. And I think Robbie and Rico just perfectly, perfectly capture that. And like you said, nobody does it like Robbie Rodriguez. Like he is as as brilliant as all the fill in artists have been and how much we enjoyed their, you know, their takes on these characters and stuff. This is still so much Jason, Rico and Robbie as that team, the core three of them, and the the lettering uh, Clayton Cowles as well. But yeah, nobody does it like Robbie. And basically, every time Matt shows up on on panel, which is like I said, half the book, Robbie is just absolutely nailing his stance and his pose and just how his presence. Matt has a forceful presence just being on panel, and it's hard to capture that from a you know seemingly unintimidating red-headed guy wearing a red suit <laughs> yeah i need to call out the flashback sequence for rico especially i think the silhouette matt's memory of his dad winning the fight beautiful oh yeah and then yeah. the two panels where matt meets stick and his mental rendering of stick the inverted red and black really powerful i mean the band is back together and this just came screaming out of the gate it's it's outstanding it's this is probably an all-time favorite for me um, in terms of issues out of the run so far easy yeah this is certainly my favorite in this arc i think and as i mentioned at the beginning we end on frank castle coming up he's ready to finish this war and i, I am ready for this this next conflict under siege is the, the subtitle of the next issue and i am ready for like the raid or something like that to be going on with Frank Castle just climbing his way up Matt Murdock's skyscraper, taking out the hand as he goes with what looks like a like a police baton and his Iron Man glove thing. Just awesome, awesome stuff. So, that is what we thought of this issue, but as you probably know, we like to give a three-word summary to give you an idea of our feelings about this issue. I have a feeling Brian and I are going to be on along the similar kind of lines this time. But uh, Brian, if you can hit me with three words to summarize Spider-Gwen number 28, please. Powerful mission statements. Ooh, I like it. I think we get Gwen defining herself, Matt defining himself, Uncle Ben stating, you know, this is what it's about. And as we were talking about this creative team, just like, this is, this is what we do. And, you know, they're doing it their way. And it just, it just, everything clicked. This is I I am picking up what you're putting down. <laughs> I am totally on board with you, and uh, this has just increased my excitement for issue 29. So I'm going to go for ready to explode, and whether that's the tension between the characters or my excitement, who knows? <laughs> just your like... head. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. And we also got some listener feedback via our Facebook page, which is very rare for us. Usually, we're more of a a Twitter and email kind of crew in our listeners but 
Alice Marie James sent us a message on Facebook about her thoughts for Spider-Gwen 28. She was picking out some highlights and she says, It's hard to pick just a few highlights. I agree with you, Alice. But I did enjoy reading Gwen's conversation with the Mary Janes. I wasn't expecting her to put herself to everyone after last issue, which ended with her talking to Ben. Speaking of which, I found his reaction very interesting, as it was a bit of a twist on the whole power responsibility thing, which is exactly what we picked up as well. And this time, with what I feel are much more grim implications. Almost felt to me like in light of Peter's death and finding Gwen is the one behind Spider-Woman, that he wants her to take the responsibility, even the potential point of costing her life. Ah, At least, yeah. that's what I seem to get out of it from his facial expressions during that little speech. And before we carry on with Alice's comments there... I, I totally see what she means because Ben's face is so intense in that scene, isn't it? He's just yeah, really kind of gr- gritting his teeth. And- Good take, Alice. I didn't even clock the fact that this has to do with anger at Gwen about Peter. Huh. Mm. Nice. Yeah. Carrying on from Alice. I also like that we got a bit of Murder Doc's backstory, which I wasn't really expecting to see. Interesting to see what happened to him to turn him to this point. But yeah, this issue was filled with quite a few things I was not expecting, and I'm very excited to see where the rest of the arc goes from here, and Gwen's future after that. This has definitely been the darkest arc so far, and what feels like the culmination of everything, and will leave a lasting impact with all the characters we've come to love, especially for Gwen. She has a three-word summary of her own, oh, okay. unexpected, ominous, and exciting. Which I think is pretty excellent work there from Alice. <laughs> With Gwen's story uh, continuing down a darker path, should we switch gears a little bit and check in on our friend Miles Morales? Certainly. We've also got some news to be talked about as well, Brian. Miles has been in other books. Um, he has been in the All New Ultimates. He's been in Avenger, and he's been with the Champions and. These books we've we've checked out, and I think after our, our experience on this show with All New Ultimates, we kind of decided that we'll kind of hold back because the main book was doing its own thing, and the Champions and the Avengers they were they didn't quite line up in terms of the emotional arcs or the the storylines. Like we had enough problem with Spider Man Two. Yeah, right. So it didn't <laughs> it didn't quite flow for what we were trying to do, um, and they certainly weren't. They didn't seem to be trying to develop. Miles as an individual, as a character, you're working with what you got. But Jack, have you read Champions? I've not at all, I'm afraid. No, no. Okay. I've I've dipped in and out with a, literally a couple of issues um, because some, some friends of mine did some art for that series. Uh, Ted Brandt and Rose Stein did a, a couple of issues of that book. Um, I think it was one of the, the point one kind of spin-off issues and then a couple of the other issues. Um, and I dipped in for those. I'm not up to date and not kind of following that month to month particularly i am honestly not either i have them all sitting in my comiXology account i just haven't set aside the time to to dive into them but um there is going to be a major change for that book they're getting a new creative team mark wade and umberto ramos are moving on and jim zub is taking over as writer with sean isaacs i believe is how it's pronounced taking over on art so it's kind of a relaunch happening sort of in april as I'd mentioned, like we hadn't really followed the other books in the past, but I was very taken by a comment that Jim had made about how he would be approaching champions in that he would be paying attention to what was happening for the characters in their main books. And if there was anything significant happening there, he would reflect it accurately in 
Champions, which caught my interest because there was a recent issue a listener had pointed out to us where in Champions, Miles makes reference to his girlfriend, Spider-Gwen. Like, maybe we can get my girlfriend to help us. And everyone's like, wait, what? And there's like a little splash panel, you know, of showing uh, Miles and Gwen swinging around. And it's like, if you're reading the main story, like, no, it wasn't really, that wasn't really their relationship at all. So those kind of, those kind of references always pull me out of the action, you know, when they're not handled. Yeah, I totally agree. Totally agree. I can appreciate them as sort of separate sort of pocket universe kind of things, if that makes sense. It doesn't really connect for me. Um, but Jim's approach seems to be that he he wants to tie those strands a bit closer together, or certainly with more care. So um, I don't know. I, I'm not, we're not sure actually what's going to be happening with Miles's book after issue 240, if they're going to be taking a break. Um, they haven't announced anything yet. So I might be up for checking out Champions in the meantime. Yeah, definitely. I really like Jim's Up. I've read quite a lot of his Dungeons and Dragons series. Uh, Skull Kickers is absolutely fantastic as well. Wayward is my favorite. Wayward is fantastic as well. He really got that kind of fantasy thing down. And I'm really interested to see how he will take on these characters because you've got some of my favorite kind of Marvel current characters. You've got Ms. Marvel, you've got Miles Morales. The Vision. I don't like the Visions. We've talked about this before. Oh, sorry. All right. <laughs> but I love Amadeus Cho's Hulk. Um, and they said they're introducing uh, Nadia Pym and Ironheart coming in. Riri Williams is coming in as well. And I thought that's a really interesting way of kind of shaking things up. And I'll be very interested to see you've now got two of Bendis' creations in Miles Morales and Riri Williams coming over and joining forces in this book. And I know we talk about the Benders first quite a lot, but I will be very interested to see what Jim's up does with this. And I'm not particularly familiar with Sean Isaacs. Um, I've seen a couple of his panels just from doing a bit of research and the the covers that they've kind of posted in the promo material. I'm liking it so far. And uh, this is kind of intriguing me to certainly get on board. If, for whatever reason, we do get a hiatus from the main Miles book, we'll have something to kind of tide us over and issue 19 will come out in April. So just in time, because Bendis has said he'll be leaving Marvel in May. So that would hopefully work out quite well. And uh, if you're feeling you know, lost without Miles in your life, you can go over to Champions and, and get your Miles fixed there as well. Awesome. But in the meantime, Miles is here for now with issue number 237. Jack, you want to catch us up on the main action? Miles regains consciousness in Uncle Aaron's new pad. And to his surprise, Aaron is just being a cool uncle again as if nothing's happened unsurprisingly miles stays for about 10 seconds before jumping out of a window and escaping transition to jefferson and rio they are finally making up and a bit of making out as well and as miles arrives he breaks the terrible news that aaron is in fact not dead so they disappear we then spin to the other side of the coin and we've got mrs bombshell is jessica jones now just this angry drunk abusive mother type character we then go over to a seemingly unrelated scene of the Hobgoblin sneaking back into the action after being absent for like three or four issues. Miles and Aaron have another discussion and come to some sort of agreement, maybe, but Miles doesn't seem convinced about Aaron's just stay out of my way kind of mentality. And Danica has worked out who Spider-Man is and will be selling his secret identity for money. There are too many scenes in this book, again. <laughs> Whew. There's a lot of, we transition, now this next scene, now it's over here, now we're back here, now we're back with Miles. 
I just want to even go back a step before that. And when we close out our shows, we read the solicits for the next issue, right? What the hell? (laughs) Like, Sandman doesn't trust the leader of the new Sinister Six, and he's ready to take matters into it. Like, wait, what? This scene, it's all off. It's all like, (laughs) these clearly written by someone with one eye out the door. Just like, all right, whatever. Yeah. I mean, not not to get too into it, but I mean, obviously they're written couple of months ahead because you're promoting oh, the cool. so he this is just you, you can see how he's just kind of throwing this together uh, as it goes but yeah so that that opening scene what a fantastic leap forward from the cliffhanger you know from the battlefield to the couch that to me i thought that kind of jump was worthy of like the spider gwen approach they they do that kind of thing a lot um but it also reminded me uh, do you remember that Dave Chappelle uh, sketch, Charlie Murphy's True Hollywood Stories, uh, w- where he <laughs> played basketball with Prince? Yes. So yes. it's like, you get your ass kicked, and then he'll serve you pancakes. <laughs> <laughs> he'll serve you breakfast for dinner. That's, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I can, I can totally see what you mean. It's this weird, it's a very weird kind of tonal shift, but I, I agree with you. I think it kind of works in that this is a very... The pacing works so well, and it feels like a very Aaron thing to do, to play off him being a total sleazebag bad guy and just be like, yeah, I'm still your uncle, though, right? I don't want to hurt you. Although I did just knock you out. But don't worry about that. It's fine. And he's just got the Iron Spider suit just lurking in this pitch black corner in his apartment (laughs) that is like everything is sparkling clean and spotless. And then this giant black and gold suit is just looming it's almost like it's like venom or something like it's consuming the light around it it's just in this <laughs> right perfectly dark corner there on the on the opening scene i do like that they we're playing on because we had the flashbacks that we had with miles and, and aaron just being the cool uncle and he's totally playing into that kind of mentality and he thinks miles is totally going to buy it and of course as i said in the recap miles doesn't and I thought that was a nice little moment that we don't have Miles being stupid and being sucked in so quickly. He's instantly very cautious, and I like that he's not like, oh, yeah, cool, Aaron, let's sit down and have a talk about how not evil you are and stuff. And, uh, yeah, I love Aaron's shirt, by the way, Made in Wakanda. Yes, yeah, right. It's a great little Black Panther shout-out. <laughs> yes, I, I actually found that uh, the opening part, like, it was a... <laughs> I appreciated Miles not getting sucked in, but I also didn't appreciate him just running away because it felt like they'd been building up to this confrontation for so long. And then finally, they're face to face. They're both unmasked, right? And Miles in the mask, that's a whole thing, you know, as as we know. But then Miles like, boop, bye. He's like, huh. All right. But it did lead into this scene with uh, with Jefferson and Rio. Yeah, what a, what a scene that is. I think that's, before we get into the rest of it, I think that is the highlight for me as often the case is when the Morales family kind of drama comes in, these characters are so believable and they have such a fantastic dialogue and rapport between each other. And yeah, yeah, this felt like a real relationship. When have- you hurt your significant other, this feels like a totally real kind of moment between these two people. Yeah, and I we I think we have to give credit where it's due and really closing this arc for Rio, because this has been going on for several issues where she's discovered the secret and needed time to work it out. And 
having conversations with Miles and just, you know, thinking it through. I, I'm sad that Gloria disappeared entirely um, from the oh, story. Man. She would have been. We need, we need more Gloria. We do. Um, but I think to, to give them Jeff and Rio a couple of pages and it was like their most kind of intimate scene yet. I mean, that was a really, I will give it to Bendis there. That was a really well-crafted, like reconciliation scene it was really lovely and as a parent like i had to laugh when their kid of course interrupts the moment i mean and of course in the comic book way like <laughs> we gotta get out of here but um like of course like you have a big fight you're making up you know because at the end of the day you're ideally best friends and that that really came through and i thought basil Dua's staging was great here brian reber who's the new colorist did, did some solid work here with this scene with the shadows and helping to bring out the expressions uh, especially for rio a lot more in these pages basil Dua and reber have done a fantastic job particularly in that scene but i think it's a solid job across this issue as well although i do still find it weird and i always call this out in tv shows as well how many characters just stand and talk in darkened rooms for no reason? Mm-hmm. And there's just kind of atmospheric lighting because that serves the emotion of the scene more than actual real life. Like nobody walks into a room with no lights on and then starts having a real heartfelt like, <laughs> right. discussion with their significant. They go from like a well lit kitchen to just like, oh yeah, we're just going to go and talk in this other room, you know, just ignore everything else. Just don't switch on the lights. We'll be fine. <laughs> um but yeah miles shows up and i like you said i really love miles's kind of panic and how they kind of just believe him and just go along with it and that they've gotten to the point where they realize they all need to be honest with each other and i yeah. think that's a really important moment as you said rio and jefferson have that moment together she says i need everything i want you to tell me everything no boundaries between us this is what this family needs and then miles shows up and is like aaron's back and they don't go, no, we don't believe you, whatever, you're talking crazy talk or whatever. <laughs> they actually go, oh, but he died. Oh, but if you're right, then, oh, God, we need to run away. And they take it very seriously, which I appreciated. And kind of what we're talking about in Gwen, one of my favorite panels in this issue is the silhouetted Miles, just that panel border that is pitch black of him mm-hmm. staring out of the window or the doorway to his parents disappearing in that car off in the distance. And then, of course, he realized he hasn't got his mask on and the moment's right. kind of ruined. And then uh, speaking of kids and their parents, this scene with the bombshells, oof. Where did this come from? Like, it- I'm not familiar with these characters particularly outside of this book. Okay. Did I miss Did I miss something? I... Does- does Laura have a habit of doing this in the past or something? Where, where's this come from? This is out of nowhere. I, I I suppose you chalk it up to, well, prison changes a person because otherwise I don't, it was really uncomfortable. And it's funny because in the last couple of issues, these two were not getting along, mother and daughter, and they were blowing each other up. And that didn't exactly like, okay, that's, cool and interesting in a comic book way and even then we see so much of that stuff it's it's almost like it's not it's not particularly exciting if that makes sense or interesting that's fairly Um, normal superhero stuff isn't it but here she's drinking and she is being abusive and then she yanks her by the hair that to me was a million times more upsetting than the idea of them like trying to literally blow each other up 
that was very like raw and immediate and believable. Yeah. And it was scary. Totally it, it was scary. Yeah. Like that to me was scary. Yeah. This really, that could really kind of upset a lot of younger readers in a very real way. If they've been through similar situations with family members or friends or parents or whatever. And that is a real kind of, I don't know, like snap back to reality kind of thing. It was, I totally agree with you that it feels way more, I use the word raw. I think visceral is what came to mind with me mm-hmm. compared to pow pow blowing each other up with superpowers. Like, yeah, sure. Whatever. That's not a real thing that happens in real life. Grabbing your daughter by the hair and throwing her across the room and saying, go and get me more booze is a thing that has happened to people in real life and is horrifying and traumatizing. And I'm not saying this book shouldn't address those things because this book does try to address different issues and, and real issues and, I think Bendis has done that a lot in his other series and his other writing as well. But this felt, yeah, if did they go a step too far? Maybe I feel um, I'm totally on board with you there. That suddenly kind of, it was a real kind of, Oh crap moment. It it was upsetting. I mean that is, so it got a reaction um, and that's, that's a good thing. It's challenging and and thought provoking that those are all good things. I, I don't, it's just, it really is out of nowhere. And I think it's also very telling too, that Lana, had no problem trying to blow her mom up, but then at the end of the day, she's her mom. And then to kind of put up with that treatment, like she could have easily, as a superhero, handled that, but she didn't. And that's, I only wish there was more room in the arc and the story to, to get into that. And I know with Bendis on his way out, he, he won't be able to do that. And I think that's a shame. This is interesting, interesting territory here because, uh, you know, we, we'll get back to it because Miles and Aaron have another conversation and there's, it's not exactly the friendliest dynamic either. Then, of course, because this series just has no concept of consistent tone, we swap over to wacky hijinks with Hobgoblin and Red Hulk for some reason that I'm still not entirely sure why we need in this book because who cares about either of those characters? Who cares? I don't care about Hobgoblin. I've never cared about Hobgoblin. Give us Miles and Jefferson and Rio, Laura and Lana. Fine. That's the kind of, again, the kind of mirrored relationship between nephew and uncle, mother and daughter. That's great. That's integral to this plot and this storyline. I'm sure this will come back and it'll be a thing and, you know, Hobgoblin gets the Red Hulk to go and kick ass or whatever, but we don't need this. And if we do, don't put it in this order. Like, this this issue feels like, I, I said it, I think it was either last issue or the issue before that, these scenes feel like they're out of order. In that <laughs> the tone, too, the tone right. just goes up and down and up and down. Open with this scene as like a quirky cold open thing, and then Miles wakes up. That makes much more sense than having real shock, oh my god, you know, mother-daughter abuse to... Hey, it's Hobgoblin being a sneaky bad guy. With the wacky comedy music, that was all that was missing. Yeah, it's like Benny Hill is like two steps away from... If Hobgoblin managed to escape, it would just be him running around the hangar trying to escape the (laughs) Hulk. And then then again, we swap back to, as you said, Aaron being really kind of manipulative and not suddenly not a nice uncle and not being cool and really playing off... Miles's naivety and youth and inexperience and yeah it's a really weird tonal shift for me that that middle scene just feels so weird 
in this high tension family drama that's going on on basically every other panel of this book and then suddenly da 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 back to the drama like, okay fine whatever yeah I, I mean i i think it's fair to say we have zero investment in the sinister six no kidding but aaron and miles i think is a really great scene again basil Dur and reba are doing great work there's really nice lighting i love how the gold on the iron spider suit just she seems to shimmer and shine all the time and it really contrasts against the black and you get some really nice silhouetted moments and brilliant angles of having Aaron's hand stretching across the room with Miles kind of tiny and insignificant in the corner there. And yeah, I do wonder why Miles is just hanging out on a wall, but I guess that's what Spider-Man do. Isn't it? Like, just the idea that they're both in Spider-Man costumes and they're unmasked. Just on a side note, I liked in terms of acting what Basil Dua had uh, Aaron do by removing his Iron Spider arms so that he could walk around. Because for a second, I wondered if he was going to be like uh, Abner Jenkins, Mach 7 and Superior uh, Foes of Spider-Man, just with the <laughs> big wings, like walking around, like knocking stuff over the apartment. But no, he wisely has him take it off. Um but yeah, I mean, we were talking about this in the Gwen issue and this this whole thing about identity and like, in this case, it's like wearing that costume and choosing to do what you do and why do you do it? Plus, we have Miles in the middle of, I don't even know if I want to wear this costume. I'm trying to figure out if I need to be somebody else. Yeah. And and Aaron is almost encouraging him to do that, isn't he? He's he's playing off Miles' insecurities and his his struggle with his identity to be like, you know, you could just not do this. You could just not be Spider-Man. You, you don't need to get in my way. This doesn't have to be a big problem in our family. We could be, you know, normal again. But yeah, so how, how do you think this is kind of... Where do you think this is going, basically, is my next question. Because there is a lot of tension here, and there's not really a resolution. No, and they're, and they're really driving home the whole notion of parallel identities, right? I mean, even the panel where Basil Dua has him facing against each other and they look the same except for the goatee and Aaron's just a little bit bigger. They've even got the same haircut, haven't they? Right, the same haircut. They could easily be father and son um, the way they're drawn here. Are you going with one of your crazy time travel he's a yeah. future Miles Morales <laughs> theories again, Brian? Is that what you're driving at? No, no, no. I just, I I, <laughs> I get what they're trying to do. Uh, even the dialogue and Aaron making a reference to he might be a little bit infatuated with Momshell. That was weird. <laughs> Yeah, that was... Just to un- let you know, son, I'm into her. See yeah. you later. It's like, what? <laughs> Who cares? What, what is... Like, stay focused. <laughs> <laughs> Where's it going? I, like I said, you know, with the initial Miles and Aaron scene, I was disappointed Miles bailed. I was not surprised that Bendis was going to kind of dance around the how are you here mystery. I don't think that's that's something he he's particularly interested in, in solving is, is the impression I'm getting. As far as where it's going, it seems like it's setting up that the confrontation is not between Miles and Aaron, but between the brothers, Aaron and Jefferson. I mean, Jefferson makes a comment as he's getting around, like, if this guy comes near me, basically, he better not not, try, not even think about it. And not to mention, in this run, building Jefferson's backstory up as an ex-Shield agent and able to handle himself. Um, I think that's where it's going. And I don't know where Miles plays into that, whether, like, there will be... Maybe Aaron kills Jefferson, and that can be... No! Jefferson is my one cosplay option. We can't have that. (laughs) I mean, isn't daily life, Brian, minus the beard, just (laughs) Jefferson anyway? 
Yeah, no, I'm I'm clean shaven now, so I'm 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 back. I just need oh, the glasses. Oh, perfect! You're you're yeah. in full Jefferson mode. I am. That's why. <laughs> um, and I do wonder if that could the the death of Jefferson or them killing each other or some something dramatic would be the catalyst for Miles to not be Spider Man anymore. And God forbid he starts calling himself Spidey or whatever on earth the latest rumor for the new miles book will be but i can see that being a combination of this that is a very interesting theory i actually like that a lot because especially if the espionage thing if that's that's a core part of it i mean he's following in his dad's footsteps he's running around unmasked it's not he he's not hiding and is this tag scene the last scene with danica getting ready to blow his cover i mean is that the is that it? I mean, he doesn't need to hide anymore. If she outs him, then he just goes on like I'm not Spider-Man, I'm Miles Morales. Like I could see these pieces Maybe. fitting. And if Jefferson's death is what it takes to be his new motivation and his unique kind of driving reason to do what he does, that that works. I'd hate to see the loss of Jefferson, but I'd be fully on board with what it would mean for Miles as a character. Definitely. I think that would give him some interesting character progression. And I'm not quite that cold-hearted that I'm like, yeah, kill his dad. That'll progress the story. <laughs> right. But <laughs> it would be an interesting turn and a, a different take. I know every superhero has a dead parent. I know that's the cliche. And what I like about Miles is that he doesn't have dead parents and he actually has a family dynamic that he has to deal with. That's one of my favorite things about Miles and what separates him from you know, the dozens and dozens of other superhero books and, and you know, dozens of other Spider-Man books as well. You've got all kinds of spider characters running around in the Marvel Universe, as is often joked by the villains. But it's interesting you talk, you touched upon the final scene there with Danica possibly revealing his secret identity because that's exactly what happened to Dick Grayson in DC a few years ago hmm. where he went from Nightwing, he was captured, his identity was revealed to the world by the villains and then he goes off and becomes a super spy and the book is now called Grayson and he goes off and it's just Dick Grayson being a superhero out of the costume. He's still, he's basically like James Bond. He's going around, you know, kicking butt and, and taking names but without a silly suit on. He's now wearing just like a an agent's kind of suit. And I'd be very interested to see. I really, really enjoyed the way they did that in DC, and I'd be interested to see if they did the same thing with Miles. I hope you're right in that they just go for, like, Miles Morales or just Miles or just Morales or something like that. Because, and I can't reiterate this enough, I hate Spidey as a name. <laughs> right. You're so not much. alone. Don't worry. That's not a, that's not a controversial take. Cool. No, but I know I've I've said it like a dozen. We've talked about it twice. I feel like I've said that sentence like a dozen times by now. Right. But I I hope to God that they don't do that, and we get something more akin to Grayson and less akin to whatever else it could possibly be. I dread to think. I dread to think. But yeah, going back to Danica, surprise, surprise. Mm -hmm. Almost like we predicted this as soon as she showed up on panel. She turns on Ganky. <laughs> And he's like, oh, I can get some money. Sweet, I'll sell you out. See you later. And we also have another reason to hate Danica, because she stole Dan and Mike's podcast title. I know, right? This, I, this I, is we, Spider Talk. We, like, I, what? I sent it to Dan, and he, he buzzed uh, Dennis about that. Like, wait a minute. And 
um, Bendis liked the tweet, apparently. So oh, good. Yeah, All right. Con- confirmed crossover connection. All right. So that being all that being said, um, if you had to sum up your response to Spider-Man at number two thirty-seven in three words, feels quite rushed. Hmm. I said I I like the family dynamic of things. I, I've said from the beginning, even before I was a host on the show and I was a guest, talking about how much I enjoy the family dynamic between Jefferson and Rio. You know, I miss, I miss Gloria. Bring back Gloria. Hashtag bring back Gloria. (laughs) And how much I I like where, you know, Aaron versus Miles could go, but it feels so disjointed with all this other stuff going on as well. And it feels like it could be a real interesting character defining story for Miles, but it's just not clicking In, in the kind of the opposite way that you said about Gwen and that this arc is building up and everything is just clicking right now and it's working. I'm feeling like this is so close to being something good for miles, something good for this series, but it's just not quite working for me. I, f- I feel that the pacing on this has been a bit weird and a bit off and I just feel a bit more kind of editing and, and, and chopping and changing around and taking more care with consistency of tone would help this series really kind of, flow a little bit more how about you crossing my fingers for the reasons you mentioned like there there are great pieces of the puzzle here i'm just really hopeful that they will find their way together uh this arc uh, it's it's fair to say has been scattered but i have high hopes that bendis will sign off in style i mean this is his baby and it's really hard to believe we don't really know what's next for the book just yet but I I have faith that he's gonna he's gonna bring this home. Those are our thoughts about the issue, but we also got some listener feedback as well. We got a message from a man Tony, and he pretty much agrees with us from the from the sounds of this message. So, not impressed with the latest Miles issue. It is just slowed to a crawl. The whole Goblin scene was so out of place, and Lana just rolling over felt weird conversation between Miles and Aaron was great, but it felt very decompressed. The Jefferson Rio moment was great, though. A total bright spot. Total bright spot, yeah. As is often the case, Tony is on board with us there. (laughs) (laughs) And we also had an email from our friend Lawrence Miner. Hey guys, a thought of mine has been occurring more and more frequently lately. Do you think that Bendis, while he was still with Marvel, which is strange to think of this in past tense now, but yes, Uh, While he was still with Marvel, had what could be considered too much creative clout with the comics he was writing. Kind of like how no one second-guessed George Lucas's creative decisions when he was making the Star Wars prequel trilogy, in which one of those decisions led to the abomination that was Jar Jar Binks. Could the name (laughs) Brian Michael Bendis have become so big in The House of Ideas that the editorial team might have given him a little too much leeway with the way he wrote the stories? I can't help but think there weren't enough people in editing openly voicing their critiques on how Bendis might have handled Spider-Man 2 or is currently handling the new Sinister Six. This is not to bash Bendis's writing, mind you. I know he does great work, but sometimes it feels like the work could have been better if it had a little more oversight to call out some flaws and improvements. Am I the only one thinking that? Uh, no, not at all, Lawrence. A couple episodes ago, we had Dan Gavazdan on who is, I think, the first on our series of podcast conversations to really articulate that idea that that's been a major issue uh, for this series, that it just needed tighter reins, really. As soon as I saw that comment from Lawrence, I was like, yep, that's exactly what Dan said, and it's what I'm saying now. I think we're all heading in the same direction. We're all feeling 
the same way and it totally makes sense um but yeah i think what lawrence was getting at is it was is bendis too big of a name like you don't tell him what to do like he's he's who he is yeah. so if- he, he was mr he was mr marvel for so long wasn't he i'm sure there's there's a lot of that to it because he doesn't co-write with anyone he's doing everything and when you're juggling uh, as many titles as he is and you're making deadlines i can totally see there's there's probably just not the room to give too many notes right i mean you're getting what you get and the artists have to turn it around that's it so yeah i i think our our hope is whoever comes on board next um will have the time uh to to focus on it and push it forward uh, on, a, on a couple of fronts. I, I think, I think we're ready for it. Um, and again, I, we're on board with you as well, Lawrence, like nobody is bashing anyone here. It's just a little more focus would do this character in series, a world of good. Thank you, Lawrence and Tony and Alice. It's good to hear from everyone. Um, we'd love to hear from more of you. Um, please join the conversation. Let us know what you think of these issues, what you think of the show. Feedback at ultimatespinpodcast.com. We're also chatting over at Twitter at The Ultimate Spin and at Facebook at Ultimate Spin Podcast. And we're over at Instagram at Ultimate underscore Spin underscore Podcast. So yeah, conversation, sharing artwork, um, previews of things, cosplay, whatever it's all good we're using the hashtags spider gwen miles morales and spider-man and of course you can subscribe to the show on itunes find us on stitcher google play pretty much every major podcast app you can possibly think of you'll be able to find us on there i even posted a little thing on our instagram not too long ago if you have a google home or an amazon echo or anything like that a smart device that will play podcasts you can even play us on there just by asking it nicely Hey, um, and as we're getting ready to sign off, we mentioned Dan uh, Gavazdan and Mark Giannacchio earlier um, and the Spider Talk podcast. We have to give them a mention. We haven't we've been haven't been <laughs> particularly great at remembering to to plug their show. But please, if you haven't already, do check out the all new amazing Spider Talk. They have just launched their second season where they are going through the history of the series and are entering the Stanley John Romita era. And for their uh, season two premiere, they got Jerry Conway to join them. Jerry, as you may know, is the original one true killer of Gwen Stacy and uh, (laughs) is currently doing great things with Spider-Man Renew Your Vows. So it's a cool conversation. They go really in depth. Uh, check it out. Just search for Amazing Spider Talk, iTunes, YouTube, Stitcher, Google Play, all those great places. Jack, that was great to get your insights and opinions on all things Spider Gwen and Miles Morales. But you share your insight and opinions on a manner of topics. So if our listeners want to find more of you, where should they go? Any social media, pretty much, and type in JLW, followed by my surname, which is Chambers. And you'll find me, whether that's Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, anything like that. And of course, I host a few other podcasts as well. I've joined Kyle most recently on the Booking on the Fly podcast a few times. If you're into wrestling and professional wrestling like our boy Robert Rodriguez is, like Kyle and I are, you can come and check us out and learn about my opinions outside of comic books. If you want to hear me talk about films and fix some bad sequels that followed some good movies... I also host the Sequelizers podcast, which will be returning very soon for our season three premiere. And I'm now officially a member of the Super 8-Bit Power Hour, which is a local Norwich show all about pop culture, nerdy things, video games, comic books, TVs, movies, all all kinds of stuff. 
and I recently joined those guys for their first kind of official episode of 2018. And uh, yeah, two new members, and I'm one of those new members for the new show going forward. How about you, Brian? All my social media, other podcasts I've been working on, all of that is at project37.net. Including your appearance on the Rush cast. Yeah, including <laughs> hearing me talk about Rush. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but that's it for us for now. Coming up, Spider-Gwen number 29. Gwen Stacy has let herself get lost in the venom, and it's turning her against her allies, including Captain America. And when Cap comes calling, a friendly check-in turns into a no-holes-barred back-alley brawl. Yay for more Captain America. Samantha's amazing. Oh, we can't have enough Captain America these days. And of course, in Spider-Man 238, the Hulk Goblin doesn't like following orders, but Iron Spider made a compelling case to join the Sinister Six. One of the perks? Killing Spider-Man. I guarantee you none of that will be the issue itself. <laughs> Considering the cover at the end of this issue is the is the Sandman thing. Yeah, I think they switched it around. It's all off. Maybe they did. Maybe they did. I think so. I think oh. we got... Oh, anyway. Weird. Very weird. Well, it's important to say, at the end of the day, we are all fans, and even if we don't love every issue, our sincere thanks, as always, go to the creators for their hard work in making these books happen, and our thanks to you for spending part of your day hanging out with us to read and talk about it all. Be well, take good care, and we'll catch you soon on The Ultimate Spin. Oh.